On today's episode of the Training Peaks Coachcast, your source for the latest information about the art, science, and business of coaching. With another racing season on the horizon, you're sure to hear about the latest nutrition trends and fads from your athletes, family, and friends. Can you separate the science from the hype? Hey everybody, Dave Shell here, and on this week's episode of the Training Peaks Coachcast, I sat down with Oscar Eukendrup. Oscar is behind some of the science with the Gatorade Sports and Science Institute. He does all the awesome infographics on mysportscience.com, and he also has an app out called Feel the Core, which will help you to help your athletes come up with a nutrition strategy for their training and racing. Oscar just did a really popular presentation at the 2018 Endurance Coaching Summit titled Back to Basics, Demystifying Endurance Nutrition. Be sure to stick around to the end of the episode for a special discount on that. It seems like every other week there's some new diet fad or some new nutrition strategy that a pro athlete is trying. Oscar and I sat down to talk about which ones actually make sense and which ones you might want to pass up when you're working with your athletes. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'm your host, Dave Shell, and today I have the pleasure to be joined by Oscar Eukendrup. Oscar is the former director at the Gatorade Sport and Science Institute. Today he does consulting. He's a um, world-leading nutritionist, physiologist, and he does consulting with teams like Lotta Jumbo and other um, big-name athletes as well. Oscar, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself in your own words? Um, yeah, I started off uh, being interested in exercise science because I was an athlete, and uh, and that's as many of us get into this because of uh, because of that reason. And I started um, studying movement sciences or exercise physiology in uh, at Maastricht University in uh, in Holland. Um, then I did my PhD in a department that was very strong in sports nutrition and I became more and more interested in the nutrition uh, aspects. Um, <clears throat> I worked in academia for a long time at universities doing research, uh, publishing papers, um, but I've always been interested also in translating the science into practical application. Um, and I've worked with professional cycling teams for a very long time from very early on and uh, especially the last few years now, I've, I've moved out of academia more into consulting role. I really try to take the science and, and all the scientific knowledge that we have, but, but help to translate that into something practical that athletes can actually use. Because even today, we still have a very big gap between science on the one hand and practice on the other hand. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on is that I, I've always admired how you can take very complex kind of concepts and then make them accessible to athletes and, and coaches. Um, so I've always been a big fan of the infographics and things like that. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you today and just maybe talk about some of the myths that are out there and some of the biggest myths you see in nutrition. How's that sound? Yeah, that's that sounds good. That's, Fantastic. Uh, there's plenty of them. So, <laughs> so I've been around for at least five years now, and I'm seeing different variations of it. Um, but just kind of the high fat, low carb, or keto kind of thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the, there's definitely a lot of discussion on that uh, on on that topic. Um, what happens, of course, is people like to put 
other people into categories. You're either in the low-carb camp or you're in the high-carb camp. And it seems that the two are in conflict. And I always wonder why why that is, because whether you need to eat low-carb or high-carb really depends on your goals. And goals of people are different, and therefore people have to eat differently. Now, a lot of people make the science much more complicated than than it actually is. And I always like to remove all the uh, the fuzz and really get to the uh, to the essentials and to the to the basics. <clears throat> and what we know is that carbohydrate is a very important fuel. Fat is an important fuel too. But when it comes to higher intensity, carbohydrate is really critical and there are quite a few studies a lot of studies, in fact, that, that show that carbohydrate is, is critical. So if you're really after high-intensity exercise performance, carbohydrate is like a really key fuel. On the other hand, if we're talking about ultra events where uh, fat is a very important uh, fuel, then, yeah, uh, it, it is okay to eat lower carbohydrate probably. Um, but... I think the role of carbohydrates still is underestimated um, a, lo a lot, even though some people, of course, make the argument, oh, it's, uh, it's very overestimated. But if you look at the, um, the nutrition practices of athletes, um, the, for, for the events where carbohydrate is important, very often they're still a little bit below the, uh, the recommendations. And what are the recommendations? Yeah, the recommendations depend, of course, on the duration of the event. So if, if we, we talk, for example, about uh, feeding during uh, an event, recommendations really depend on the duration of the event. and can be anything from no carbohydrate in the shorter events to maybe 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour in events that last three hours or longer. Um, and in between, uh, you have... Uh, recommendations that are up to 60 grams or up to 30 grams uh, per hour in the in slightly shorter events um, but if we if we go to like a lot of the Ironman uh, races I think sometimes carbohydrate intakes are still very uh, very low compared to that recommendation of 60 maybe even 90 grams uh, per hour um, and this has to do a lot of the times with the fact that people don't feel comfortable taking that amount of carbohydrate. And very often then they pay the price in the last part of the, uh, of the race. Um, the question for me then is why don't they feel comfortable? And if you, if you analyze that, it's usually because they haven't practiced the like race nutrition strategy enough or they have practiced some of it in training where the intensity is so much lower than in, in the race so that you can't really compare those two situations. So <clears throat> we do know, and this is um, some of the very recent uh, studies show this very clearly, that the, uh, the gut is extremely adaptable. Uh, but it adapts in two ways. If you eat a lot of carbohydrate, it'll become better at absorbing carbohydrate. If you eat low carbohydrate, then it becomes very poor at absorbing carbohydrate. And this is what I see happen quite a lot. People train very low carb or train without carb many days of the, of the week. And then it comes to race day and suddenly they, they are starting to take gels and bars and, and things that the, uh, the gut has never seen. And so it's not surprising that you then 
on on race day get you can't tolerate uh, that high carbohydrate intake instead if you had gradually like increased the intake maybe one day uh, a week where you actually practice this ideally a day that looks a little bit like race day in terms of intensity and uh, and duration and you gradually build up to what you're going to do on race day then you're probably going to have a much better race listening to you it sounds like there's not much of a case for this idea of being becoming fat adapted then um i i think there is definitely um it it depends on the definition of fat adapted i think i'm not a big fan of that uh, term because it's so vague and people mean different things uh, with it um I I like the idea that we want to adapt our fat metabolism. In fact, we we want to use as much fat as possible during uh, during exercise. So we need to train our fat metabolism, and I'm I'm a very big believer in that. You can only train your fat metabolism really well if you reduce your carbohydrate intake. Now, what I'm not saying is that that is something you should do every day, and therefore you should just. Uh, remove carbohydrate from your diet what i would do is i would remove it maybe some days one or two days per week from my diet so specifically on those days i'm training my fat metabolism the best i can but on other days i would do the opposite i would actually have a high carbohydrate intake and treat the days a little bit like a race um so some days i would train low some days i would train high and at the end of that i have trained my fat metabolism but i've also trained my carbohydrate metabolism and i've trained my gut to absorb carbohydrate so on race day i'm prepared uh, in all aspects that doesn't happen if you just always train low carb right you become really good at burning fat there's no question about that um but you become really bad at burning carbohydrate and that is not something that I would want as a as an athlete I would want to be able to use all fuels right so you'd mentioned um kind of breaking up the week where there's some days I'm doing a little bit I'm training normally I'm eating carbs like I normally would there's other days where I'm training low on those days I'm training low what does that workout look like is it still a moderate workout am I trying to keep it really easy um there are many different ways of uh, of doing this is a little bit like uh interval training there there is not one interval training right there's many different ways of doing this and training low also the most common way to train low is by um not having uh, breakfast and going out early morning uh, the reason for that is uh, early morning is really the only time that it has been like 8 hours or more since the last meal that means that insulin is extremely low at that point and optimal conditions really for fat burning um <clears throat> so going out in the morning maybe with just a cup of coffee but no no breakfast that is one way to train low and hopefully get some good adaptations in fat metabolism but there are other ways as well one way that has been studied a little bit in the literature is training twice a day where the first uh, training you're trained with normal glycogen stores normal carbohydrate stores um in between the two sessions you don't eat a lot so the second time you train your glycogen stores are very low and that is also a way of training low carb you would also stimulate uh, fat oxidation what would that meal look like in between 
Um, the meal in between is just anything that ha- that is low low carbohydrate. So there's definitely uh, a focus on on protein, and and it'll be a relatively small meal usually. So let's say I started a ride fasted. Maybe I plan to do a four hour ride that day. Is there any harm? I get two hours in, and now I start to take on some carb. Have I just ruined everything I set out to do, or is there any benefit? Yeah, I think it it it, it all depends a little bit on the on the intensity. But if it's a if it's a decent intensity, if you uh, don't eat carbs in the first hour, you can actually try and eat a little bit of carbs after that because um, by then. Uh, your insulin levels are going to be so suppressed by the exercise itself, by uh, epinephrine, that um, it's, it's it's no problem anymore. You're not going to suppress fat oxidation anymore. And sometimes it's a good idea to take just small amounts uh, of carbohydrate in the in the second, third, and fourth hour in this uh, in this case, because you can maintain the exercise intensity a little bit more. I feel like we could probably talk all day about low-carb, high-carb, keto, all that stuff, but I'm going to move on. Salt pills have been becoming more and more common, and is there a reason for, say, most athletes, and I'll focus on Ironman, so should they be supplementing salt, and if they should, is the pill the answer, or are there better ways to take on that sodium? Um, I would go back to the to the very basic question: Why are we talking about this at all? And uh, salt is electrolytes, the same uh, same thing. But really, the only one that's really important is, uh, is sodium. That's what we should be talking about. Now, sodium is important for a number of reasons. We have sodium in uh, drinks because it helps the absorption. Sodium also makes you a little bit more thirsty, so that you. You keep uh, you keep drinking. That that could be uh, beneficial. Um, and at the same time, we lose sodium through uh, sweat, and some people lose a little bit more than uh, than others. Um, the question is: Do we lose so much that this becomes a problem? And uh, there is no easy answer because it's going to be very individual. Some people sweat a lot of sodium. Some people sweat very little. The only way to really find out is probably to uh, to measure it. Um, and yeah, there's, there's several ways now to uh, to get that uh, analyzed. Uh, can be done, but <clears throat> I think the reality is that very few people are actually in that category where this is a real problem. And I think. Of course, we all think that. Oh no, I'm going to be the one that uh, that that sweats so much. I'm going to be the one that has the uh, has has the problems. But the reality is that, that I think for most people, it's it's really not necessary to uh, to take uh, salt pills if they take the products that they would normally take with a little bit of uh, sodium. They they're probably okay. Um, How about real food? So typically, at an Ironman race, there might be pretzels or chips i've seen people with cans of cold soup yeah and or broth they're, they're all good sources of uh, of sodium and and of course if you do if you want to calculate your intake you just have to take those products into account and everyone every individual is different with different preferences and you have to find the uh, the sources of sodium or carbohydrate or or fluid that you like so right and you'd mentioned there's different ways to measure your salt excretion or sweat rate. Aside from going to a lab, is there anything else that's easily accessible to a coach that they could use with their athletes? 
No, at the mo- at the moment, I don't think there's anything that is uh, that is really reliable that is just off the shelf or so that you could use at home. But there's several companies that provide that service, and uh, yeah, if it's a good co- company and good quality control, then uh, you you get a pretty good uh, estimate of your sodium losses. So next up on the uh, myth busting list, let's talk about drinking to thirst. Yeah, I think drinking to thirst this probably works for a lot of individuals in a lot of situations. And typically, it works well for those individuals that are a little bit uh, a little bit slower, um, and in events that are uh, not not too long. The, in those situations, it's fine to uh, to drink to thirst. But if we're talking uh, Ironman, usually like pretty uh, pretty long events, pretty tough events, pretty hot hot conditions um i would want to go into an ironman with with a plan a plan that is based on how much i'm going to sweat um so i would do some sweat measurements on myself and ideally in similar conditions to get an idea of how much fluid i'm actually going to lose and then i would base my drinking plan on the amount of fluid lost um the problem uh, in that situation with just drinking to thirst is that well when you're thirsty there may not be a feed station and I haven't planned for it now so um, you, it, it's really difficult to uh, to plan for for thirst it's uh, so um, what I would do is have it all ready have it all uh, scheduled I know exactly where my bottles are going to be how much is in those bottles where the feed stations are um, so that I know that I can get the target amount of fluid that I need. Now, one reason not to drink to uh, to thirst is that you may actually become thirsty fairly late into uh, in, into a race, and at that point you start to catch up with your uh, fluid intake. But we know that gut function is works, or the gut works very well in the first part of the race, in the first hours of the race and therefore can absorb a lot. But now you've skipped that period where the gut is working really well and you're starting to catch up when actually it's very difficult to tolerate any uh, any fluid. And uh, I think that's just asking for, uh, for trouble. So I would just have a, a fluid intake plan where my fluid intake is just nicely, evenly distributed throughout uh, the race and based on the sweat rates that I've measured. And so that's a good segue into you have, and I want to say recently, but it's been around for at least a year now, um, you've come up with an application called Core, and it does just that. You've mentioned Several times you've mentioned that it's very individual to the athlete and that you'll want to individualize it to them and their race and the conditions. And so you created this app to help people do just that. Can you tell us some more about Core? Yeah, no, for sure. The um, when I'm working with athletes, I'm always asking uh, the questions that help me put together the like the personalized plan for that uh, for that individual. So what we did is we turned those questions into uh, into an app because it's always the same uh, information that uh, that you need to know. It is about how long does it take for for the athlete. It's about uh, the weather the weather conditions. Um, there's a lot of questions around intensity about what they can tolerate. Um, there's also uh, what products do you want to use, um, and then if it's a 
if it's a race, you also want to know where the feed stations are. Uh, so there's a lot of questions you need to ask before you can put together a, a good nutrition plan. Um, so we turned it into uh, into software. So now it's accessible to all athletes, really. So you can go to the uh, fueldecor.com website. Um, you can even set up a free account um, and just start planning your uh, your fuel. And it'll ask you the questions that I would normally ask you. And you just follow five simple steps. The first three steps are about you, about your event, and about the fuels that you're going to use. Step four then uh, calculates for you the targets specifically for you and your event. And then it puts the, the products that you want to use or that are available on the, uh, on the course. It puts those in that uh, plan. You can adjust that any way you want. You have a few dials where if you make sure that those dials stay on target, um, you are, from a scientific point of view, exactly hitting the, uh, the targets you should hit. Um, and then in, the, uh, in step five of the, uh, of the plan, you get to the execution bit where we help you to actually do this in the, in the race. And that means you can print like a little plan that you put on your bike or um, an, a band that goes around your uh, wrist that then helps you memorize your, uh, your nutrition plan. That's fantastic. So how necessary is protein after a workout? And does it have to be within a magic window or can you approach it a different way? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I think the first thing I would say is if you miss that uh, window, it doesn't mean that you're not going to recover, right? But those recommendations come from how can we optimize the, uh, the whole, the whole process. And I think the, uh, like the interpretation of the literature at the moment is that some of the things that are important is it's the amount of protein, it's the quality of protein. It is the how regularly you take your uh, your proteins, and really what we should be looking for is a reasonable amount of uh, protein that is at least twenty grams, and sometimes you read twenty five uh, grams, sometimes you read even thirty uh, grams, but it is important that it's high quality protein it has about eight grams of essential amino acids, um, and actually the. Uh, what we're really looking for is the amino acid leucine. So if that uh, that should be present in like three grams uh, amounts, something like that. So that's purely from a science point of view, that's what we're looking for. And we want those meals to be um, evenly distributed throughout the day. So a reasonable uh, amount of uh, proteins in every three to four hours really? uh, so that, throughout the day. So that 20 grams is split up throughout the day. It's not 20 grams all in a meal. No, it's, it, it is per meal. Per meal, So okay. it's per meal. So, and, uh, so yeah, but you need it, you need it regularly because um, I think where there's a, m- a lot of misunderstanding sometimes is that uh, protein is not something that works immediately or that has very rapid effects protein is something that is a process that happens all of the time very slowly in the uh, in the background but you need to feed it uh, regularly for that uh, process to take place as efficiently as possible um but it's not like carbohydrate where you you are restoring or fluid where you're restoring 
your uh, your fluid reserves or your carbohydrate reserves within within hours or at least within twenty uh, four hours. Um, with protein, it takes it takes much longer and it's a very slow process. Gotcha. And before I let you go, is there any other? I only touched on a few myths here. Is there any other myth that maybe you see coaches or athletes um, making that you want to bust before I let you go? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there are there are just I think it's just a general comment that um, I think people are making nutrition a lot more complicated than than it is um, and trying to make it much more complicated uh, and trying to complicate the science that we actually have and it really isn't that uh, it really isn't that complicated um, it becomes confusing because people come up with different theories and uh, if you really look at the uh, the evidence it is it is not it's not that uh, complicated and I would just stick to the basics and do the basics much better than everyone else and I think that's when you have a winning formula um, and what people do unfortunately in reality is they spend all this time on the uh, on the fluff around it the stuff that really isn't that uh, that important uh, a lot of attention to supplements while actually just the, the basic intake in the diet isn't even sorted out and I, I usually talk about that as the the icing on the cake. Everyone spends all this time on the icing on the cake, but they don't even have a cake yet. Um, so I would, I would make sure that I had a really good, nice tasting cake, and then start to worry about the icing and not the other way around. Fantastic! A lot of good uh, pieces of advice there. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Hey guys, Dave Shell again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Training Peaks Coachcast. And in case you missed it, Oscar did an awesome presentation at the 2018 Endurance Coaching Summit titled Back to Basics, Demystifying Endurance Nutrition. I highly recommend it. If you want to check it out, go to Training Peaks University and enter Coachcast ECS20 to enjoy 20% off your ECS online purchase. Until next time.